0: To James chapter four, <clears throat> James chapter four, and I'm sure it's a well-known passage to all of you guys. And I entitled the message, "What Does Tomorrow Hold?" And you know, Tammy kind of alluded to that tonight. You know about this year and what's been going on, and you know we're getting ready to start a new year. And right now we're you could say standing at the door of the unknown. And we're just hours away from a new year. And all we can do really is is, is buckle up <laughs> and get ready for the ride. You know, to go forward. Nobody knows what new experiences we'll find. What new experiences are going to come our way? I mean... I don't know, but just in my little pea brain, I'm thinking, Lord, can it, can it be worse than this last year? I don't know. God's, like I said, in control. What battles will we get into? What new needs will we face? But even with all that we don't know, we have an encouraging and comforting word from our Heavenly Father. And I think of Jeremiah 29, 11, I know one of the probably most quoted verses, one of the most, there are many, but he says, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, and they're plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. So that being the case, I think of what Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. And as we're all aware, the new year will is going to bring a lot of challenges. And they're going to come in the form of experiences as well as blessings and sorrows. Trials and victories, tears and laughter, losses and gains and so on. You know, the way it's looking, we're going to uh, have a new president. And, you know, based on, again, what we've seen and heard, uh, I don't know how well that's going to go for the believer, for the world, really. And so, you know, it, it it could be a difficult time. Think all about what's involved in life. Buying, selling, working, earning money saving money, spending money, going here and there, maybe another child in the family, illness, maybe mild, severe terminal, even death. Life is made up of people and places, activities, goals, and days and years. And day after day, we have to make critical decisions It will have an effect, whether good or bad, on all of these matters that will affect our life. Let's look at James uh, chapter 4 verses 13 through 17 before we go any further. And James says, come on now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. And all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. When James wrote these verses, he has in mind people making plans for the present and for tomorrow. And it's not that we're not supposed to. But it's people who make plans for day and tomorrow, a year from now, plans to travel, plans to do business um, without involving God. And these people seem to think or be the kind of of people who make plans. I mean, we make all the time the kind of plans that any businessman has to make if, you know, his business is going to be a success. So what's James' point here? Well, no doubt when he was working as a carpenter, he had often, he had to often make the same kind of plans in his life. And the problem that James is stressing is simple. It's common, it's serious, and it's all too often that these plans are made without God. Now, how are we to do that? How do we go about choosing those things that will work out the best for us? What do you depend on? What do I depend on? Our own wisdom, our own knowledge, or do you trust in the Lord with all your heart? Or do you lean on your own understanding? Do you acknowledge Him? Do you recognize Him in everything that you do? And does He direct your path? Your way of life? Or do you depend on luck? Or fate? What is the new year going to bring for us? I know that we all wish we had some way of finding out, of looking into the future. You see, apart from the will of God, life is a mystery. It's a mystery. But when you make Jesus Christ your Savior and you seek to do His will, then life starts to make sense. And Jesus is the only one who can make sense out of what seems to be so senseless. There's a simplicity and there's a harmony. To your life that brings balance and confidence. You're no longer living in a mysterious. And scary black hole. And James pointed out three attitudes. Toward the will of God. And obviously. There can only be one right one. And a change of attitude. Will bring about a change of behavior. Henry and Richard Blackaby. Authors said this. Attitudes don't just happen. We choose them. I like that. And it's true. They don't just happen. We choose them. The first attitude. Is to ignore God's will. The second attitude. Is to disobey God's will. And the third attitude is. Is to, is to obey God's will, which is the right one. So beginning with verse 13, we see the first attitude. It's ignoring God's will. Let's look at verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, to spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. And there are several reasons why it's foolish to ignore God's will. The first reason why it's foolish to ignore God's will is because of all the variables and all the complications in life. A lot of people say, you know, today I'm going to go here and tomorrow I'm going to go there and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to spend a year over there and I'm going to make an investment here and I'm going to do make, and they got all, all these kinds of things. But again, just, just look at this last year. Look at how drastically it changed our lives and our plans. In the first part of verse 14, we see the second reason that it's foolish to ignore God's will. The uncertainty of life. Look at the first part of verse 14. A. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. It's like Solomon said. In Proverbs 27 1, he says, You don't know what will happen tomorrow. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you at best. Each of us is but a breath, a vapor. These people, James, were talking about were making plans for a whole year when they couldn't even see ahead one day. We'll go here and we'll stay there. We'll buy this and we'll sell that and we'll make a profit and so on. Jesus gave a great illustration about what we're talking about when he gave the parable to the disciples about the rich farmer who had an attitude like the one that James is talking about. How we're going to do this and I'm going to do that and I got all of these plans. When Jesus told his disciples a parable of this this farmer, he said, "In again, he said, "A, a rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. The rich man said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all of my crops. And then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll just sit back and say to myself, my friend... You have enough stored away for years to come. Now, just take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. You will die this very night. Then who will get everything that you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Those were Jesus' words from the New Living Translation. You see, the farmer had a bumper crop. A good year. So he had to do some thinking. He had to make some plans. He thought it would be a good idea, you know, not to put his grain on the market right at the moment. Because you see, that would only reduce prices even more. The supply of, uh, 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 the law of supply and demand. It worked in his day just like it works in our day. So the farmer decided, you know what, I'm going to hold on to my grain until there's a shortage of grain. And then prices would go up. And then I could really make the big bucks. I mean, it's a no brainer. He was a rich man, so he could wait. It didn't matter whether he sold his crops or not. He, he was rich, he had money to live on. But there's problems where, st- where am I going to store all of this grain while I'm waiting? You see, the barns that he had, they weren't big enough. So the answer was pretty easy, build bigger barns. Apart from a certain selfishness and and hardness about it all, and a total disregard for the poor and the needy, it was a solid business plan. But you see, the Lord saw right through him. What the Lord saw was was not a, a, a rich, successful, you know, wise businessman, the, law, the Lord saw a worldly man who didn't have an ounce of spirituality about him. See, Jesus heard the man as he talked to himself. And he said to himself, soul, man, you have a lot of goods laid up for a lot of years. Why don't you just take it easy, kick back, enjoy life. But Jesus called the man a fool. Why is that? Because he left God out of his plans. I like what John Phillips said. He mistook his bank book for his Bible. And boy, when things are going well, and we got money in the bank. Isn't that the tendency a lot of people have to lean on and to trust? Jesus didn't see the farmer enjoying life. He saw him facing death he said to the farmer, he said, this night your soul will be required of you. The third reason it's foolish to ignore God's will is the brevity of life. Look at the second part of verse 14. He says, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. And our life is like a vapor of smoke, a puff of smoke. Now, you know, we're here for a little while and then we're gone. And the thing that, that I think a lot of times we, we we don't understand or we don't take for real and, and take it into account is that death is not an accident. It's an appointment. Hebrews 9.27 says, it is appointed for men to die once but after this, the judgment. Each of us have an appointed time to die. How do I know that I'm not going to die in the new year? I don't know. But I know it is so possible. It is so possible. And again, I can make plans, but I need to, in in the bottom of my heart, say, if God wills it because he may have a different appointment for me. Could it be this year? What's left of it before I get home? You see, death is one of the realities of life. And though there are many uncertainties in life, death is not one of them, unless I go to in the rapture. <laughs> Other than that, I'm going to see Death. But life is not uncertain to God. Only to us. Only when we're in his will can we be confident about tomorrow. Because we know that he's leading us like a shepherd. The Bible, as you know, it refers to us as sheep. And that's not a compliment because sheep are not the smartest animals in the animal kingdom. That's why they need to be led. That's why they need a shepherd. When sheep are left alone, they get lost. They need to be led. And for us, like sheep, life is too short to be wandering around through life like a blind man, without direction, hoping to make the right decisions and choosing the right path. We need someone who will help Let's find those things. And that's why the psalmist said in Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Life is Short. Now, when you're younger, it, it seems like you know the end of life is, is way off, and and I think of myself. Never thought about retirement. Never thought of those older days. And then I wake up one one morning, find out I'm there. Wow! I saw a T-shirt the other day that said, "I didn't take. It. I didn't think it would." be this quick before i got old something to that effect i didn't think old age would come that fast and and boy is is that so true you know it reminds us the bible reminds us of this fact that life is short it reminds us over and over again every day and boy when i drive by rose hills or uh, whatever right here off of the 15 i mean the She's the, the 10 already by Kellogg Hill. It, it reminds, Forest Lawn, it reminds me. Kind of like just calling out your name, Joe. <laughs> One of these days. Well, wherever you decide to put me. One of these days. But to us, life seems like a long time. Like I guess, especially when you're young, we don't plan ahead. And we, do, we, do, we, we measure life by years. Oh man, I still got 50 years before I hit 50 or I had you know 40 years or whatever it is you know it's such a long way off such a long way off but here's the thing our life compared to eternity is a vapor a puff of smoke James says it appears for a little time and then it vanishes away you've probably heard it said before but you know when you've gone to a to a graveside and you know a lot of times we, we read the tombstones, we read the headstones there and we'll see what it says and, and you know when it has the, the, data, the, the year that they're born and the year that they die and they have that little dash in the middle? Your, your life is that little dash compared to eternity. It's nothing. We're just a, a dash between the day we're, the year we're born and the year we die. Compared to eternity, Job tells us in chapter 7, verse 9, the cloud disappears and vanishes away. In chapter 8, verse 9, Job says, Our days on earth are a shadow. In chapter 14, verse 1 and 2, he says, A man who is born is but a few days. He comes forth like a flower and fades away. He flees like a shadow and does not continue. We count birthdays and anniversaries, but God tells us in Psalm ninety twelve, number your days. Because your days are numbered. My days are numbered. Make them count for something. We live a day at a time as we grow older. And the older we get, the faster they seem to go by. Life is short, you know what? And and, and we can't afford to waste it. God doesn't want us to waste it. Like the farmer to spend our our, our 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 lives foolishly. We need to invest in our lives. In those things that are eternal. And God has made his will known to us in his word. And yet a lot of people just ignore the Bible. In the Bible God gives us instruction. And he gives us standards and promises. That can guide us in every area of Of our life. Knowing and obeying God's word is the surest way to succeed in whatever we do. Then in verse 16, I haven't skipped 15, we'll get to it. In verse 16, we see the fourth reason it's foolish to ignore God's will it's the frailty of man. Let's look at verse 16. But now you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. You boast in your arrogance, not wisdom. It's foolish for people to ignore the will of God. You know, it's like a plane that's flying without instruments in the cockpit. Could you imagine? Thomas Akempis wrote this. And you've heard this before. Man proposes, but God disposes. Man doesn't have the wisdom to see the future nor the power to control the future. That's why James says that all boasting is evil. It's arrogant, it's prideful. Now in verse 17, we see this second attitude for disobeying God's word. Look at verse 17. Therefore, therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. In other words, the people knew. They know what God's will is, but they choose to disobey it. Why is that? Because of pride and stubbornness, rebellion and so on. Man likes to think that he's in charge and that he knows better than God. I call my own shots in life. I'm the master of my fate. But Charles Spurgeon said that fate is blind, it's harsh, it's inflexible, it has no sympathy for man's sorrow. But on the other hand, God appoints he appoints whatever comes our way, good or bad. Why? Because it's the best way for us. The Bible has eyes so that it, we, we can see tomorrow. The Bible has eyes so that we can see tomorrow. And it shows us design of God's providence his hand in our life and those providences of god his divine guidance what he does all that he does is kind and it's good that's why you never have to be afraid of god's will for you because it comes from god's heart psalm thirty-three, eleven. the psalmist said this the counsel of the lord stands forever the plans of his heart to all generations Whatever happens in my life, it comes from God's heart. What is God's intention for you? As I read earlier, my plans are, for you are for good and not evil or disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Another reason that man disobeys God's will is ignorance about the nature of God's will. Man acts if it's something that he can accept or reject just casually. When the real truth is God's will is not optional. It's an obligation. It's a duty. It's a responsibility. We can't just take it or leave it. And too many people take God's will lightly because they may have made the mistake that God's will is just going to make me miserable. And a lot of people think, you know, that that aren't Christians that, gosh, the, the Christian life, that must be miserable. You have to go to church. You have to read the Bible. You have to you know pray and you have you know, all of these have to's, as well as the the things that you can't do. Rather than knowing that when you come to Christ, those are things that I desire to do. That I love to do, that I want to do them. This is just the opposite. Misery comes from not following God's will. Making choices without God's guidance. And you see the word of God and man's experiences teaches this truth. I mean maybe a lot of you can can look back at your life before before Christ and it was a mess. It was miserable disobeying God's will might not seem like a serious thing to people but you'll see just how serious it is when you stand before him in judgment now the Christian he'll be judged but not for his sins he'll be judged for his service the motive behind what he did for God the non-christian they'll be judged for their sins for rejecting God's son Now in verse verse 15, we see the third attitude, obeying God's will. It's the right attitude. Look at verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Lord willing or the Lord's will. It's not just a Christian cliche. Like praise, not like praise the Lord, but you know, people say, well, praise the Lord. That's not a, a Christian cliche. It's a truth. Lord willing is not a Christian cliche. It should be a constant attitude of the heart. I make my plans to do this and to that. If God is willing, I will do this or that. God's will for our lives is just like the laws that he's made that run the universe except those laws are are general but the will that he has planned for our lives is specifically designed for each individual there are no coincidences there are no there's no luck involved there's no second chances i'm sorry second causes in life Our God does things decently and in order. He's not the God of confusion. And no two lives are planned according to the same pattern. God doesn't have the same plan for my life that he does for yours and vice versa. God doesn't call each of us to the same work in life or ministry. God's will is tailor-made for each one of you and me. And it's important that we have the right attitude toward the will of God. God is not cold, he's not impersonal, and he's not faultless. God's will is a living relationship between God and the believer. And this relationship, this is so awesome, it's not destroyed when I disobey God or you disobey God. But the Father will deal, deal with me like his child. And he'll discipline me if, if he needs to. And when we get out of God's will, we will suffer. And when God can't rule, hey, he'll overrule. God's will is an ongoing, growing experience. First, we should know his will. Acts twenty two fourteen says, The God of our fathers has chosen you. Notice that you should know his will. It's not hard to find out if we're willing to obey. You know, if, if we obey the will of God, God will show us more. God doesn't reveal his will to the to those who aren't interested or, or those who are just curious. God reveals his will to those who are ready and willing to obey him. But we can't stop at just knowing some of God's will. <clears throat> he wants us to be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual wisdom. On spiritual understanding, Paul said in Colossians 1.9. It's wrong to want to know God's will about some areas of our life and not all areas of our life. Because you see, everything... Every area in our life is important to God. And He's planned out every detail. Remember Psalmist said in Psalm 139 that, that God had my, my life all formed and fashioned before I was ever born. It was all written out before I, I, I lived one moment of it. God wants us to understand His will. Paul said in Ephesians 5, 17, Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Being friends of Jesus, we have the privilege of knowing why God does what he does. You know, and as I said, well, we need to prove God's will by experience. Like I said, he just is not going to show his will and show you more just out of curiosity and, and, and just, you know, because, you know, uh, I, I'm peeking into or trying to find out what God's will is just, you know, in certain areas of my life. We must prove God's will by experience. We learn to determine his will by doing his will, by working at it. And the more we obey, the easier it is to find out what God wants to do. And it becomes second nature to you. People often ask, how can I know God's will for my life? Well, you start by doing what you know you should do. It's, it's called progressive revelation. It's one step at a time. You know, remember, you think know, if, if God would have told Paul... He got, when he got saved and he was at Ananias' house, that, that if he would have told Paul, well, let me tell you what's going to happen in your life. You know, you're going to be in the, in the water for a few days and you're going to be hot and cold and freezing and, and you know, you go hungry and you're going to be beaten and you're going to be put in jail and you're going to, do you think, he he said, forget it. Get it. I'm done before I even get started. But you start by doing what you know you should do. Then God opens the way for the next step. Joshua is a good example at the Jordan. God told, God told Joshua, Joshua, we're going to cross the Jordan. He says, go tell the people to get ready. Make provisions. He says, when you see the priest's Carrying the Ark of the Covenant, tell the people to join in behind them and follow him. Follow them, and then he says, when the priests step their toe into the water, it's going to open. But notice, notice what he said: do these things, and he—that's it's, it's, when he reveals his will to you. First thing you got to do is—he said—is—is is, is prepare the people. People got prepared. Now, tell them. When you see the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant, get in behind them. Put in a space between you, a good space in between you because you've never been this way before. And then when the priests step into the water, notice, he he told them, and as they did each step, God revealed his will to them. You're going to cross the Jordan. Now, what's really neat when you read that passage is that The the river was at flood stage. And you don't hear any of the people grumbling or complaining. Joshua, um, how are we getting across? I don't see any rafts. I don't see any boats. I don't know of any boat builders in our crowd here. How are we going to do this? They took God's word for it not to mention that the, 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 the river was at flood stage. It wasn't going to be easy. But you see, what we look at is hard. It's nothing for God. But as God revealed to Joshua how this was going to happen, each step they took, he, revealed, he opened the, 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 the Jordan and they went across. They went across. You see, you prove, you prove by experience what the will of God is. You take the first step and then God's going to open the next. See, why would God open the doors if you're not even going to bother going, obeying Him or, or following Him? We learn by success and failures. God's will is revealed to us one day, one step at a time. Finally, when we have to do God's will to, from the heart When doing God's will comes from the heart and it's not done resentfully or or out of necessity or grudgingly, the secret of a happy life is found. And you take joy in doing your duty. When duty becomes a joy to us, man, then, then the burdens become blessings. The psalmist said in Psalm 40, verse 8, I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. When we love God, then his will becomes a joy. It becomes a song to us. We enjoy serving him. When we serve God grudgingly or because we have to, we might do his work, but it's not going to be any fun it's not going to be a blessing. When we do God's will from the heart, we're enriched no matter how hard the task might have been. And there are benefits to doing God's will. You enjoy a deeper, fuller fellowship with Jesus. And you have the privilege of knowing God's word, God's truth, and seeing your prayers answered. And you know what? You can experience an, an eternal quality of life here and service here. And then, the you know, it, it, you experience a bit of eternity here in obeying the will of God and following the will of God for your life. And remember, don't ever think that if you fail in knowing or, or, or doing God's will will permanently affect your relationship with God. It won't. Because the Bible tells us in John, 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, we're forgiven. And we learn from our mistakes and we keep moving forward with God's blessing and we can look forward to and expect rewards when he returns. Matthew 25.34 tells us that. In closing... Jesus said in Revelation 1.8, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. God is always first and he will surely be last. In other words, in God's plan, man is never allowed to speak the first word nor the last. That right belongs totally to God and God will never surrender that, that right to his to his creatures. You had no say so about your birth nor your death. God decides all of that without asking the man or the woman. One day that 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 little man finds himself aware you know, of being able to think and do what he wants to do. And he accepts the fact that he can. And there is when he starts making decisions for his own life. Before that, he had nothing to say about anything. But after that, awareness comes up that, hey, I'm my own person. I do what I want to do. After he comes to that awareness, that consciousness of, of who he is, then he begins to strut and to boast, and and he's all hyped up by by his own voice, and by that, and then he be, he begins to declare his his independence of God. I don't need God, and he begins to tell him, say, so, "Hey, have a good time." And when he does that, when he's doing all of this talk, talking, it's really babbling in between the time that he's born and the time that he dies. It's just babble. You had no voice at the first and you'll have no voice in the end. You see, God he's, the Bible tells us he's the author and the finisher of our faith, as well as life. God owns that right to finish the end where he started at the beginning and you're in the hands of God whether you like it or not adam became a living soul but not by any choice of his god willed it god carried it out it was his will making adam a living soul god was there first and when adam sinned and, and ruined his his whole life god was still there adam's whole future peace laid in this fact that God was still there even after he had messed up. So it would really be smart for us to start this new year living in, 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 the, in the fact, in the light of this wonderful and, and, and fearful truth that God is the first and the last. From beginning to end. So, we need to ask ourselves which of the three attitudes do we have towards God's will tonight? Totally ignoring God's will as we go about making our own plans and decisions? Or do we know God's will and still won't obey it? These are the two attitudes that are wrong and they'll only bring sorrow and ruin. But the Christian who knows and loves and obeys God's will and they they will enjoy blessings, God's blessings. And his or her life may not be easier than the other two, but I tell you what, it will be holier, it will be happier and it will be peaceful. The very thing that keeps him or her going will be the will of God. And it will be the joy and the pleasure of his or her heart. Father, we thank you, Father, for the wisdom of James, Lord, and we know that the Spirit of God led him, Lord. Therefore, it is your wisdom, Lord, that you passed on to James, that it could be passed on to us, Father. And Lord, we pray that as we begin a new year, Father, that your will for our life and in our life would be the most important thing for us God that Lord we wouldn't ignore your will that we wouldn't disobey your will but we'd obey and that Father we'd enjoy our relationship with you and the blessings that come with it and the peace of the burdens that we may encounter So, Father, may you bless my brothers and sisters here. Get them home safely, Lord. Take care of them, God. Cover them and their families. And, Lord, look forward again according to your will as we gather Sunday, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Sunday morning we will finish the 7th.